One World Trade Center Tower to the Other World Trade Center Tower. And I've got a picture of, of this guy here. That's actually a, promoting a movie there, but that's sort of a artist rendition of what actually happened here. The next picture is actually a real picture of this guy. And uh, what this guy did was he snuck into the World Trade Center at night before it was really finished being, being constructed. And he and his crew set up this really awesome stunt where they uh, strung a wire between the two towers, 200 feet between the two towers. And in the middle of the next day, he spent the night in the top floor. Middle of the next day, he decided he was going to walk across this deal. All right? 1,300 and some odd feet off the ground. And here he is walking across a tight wire between the two World Trade Center towers. Anybody ever heard of this guy before or heard about this whole stunt? It happened before I was even born, so it was like way back when. But uh, it's pretty incredible. But if you, anybody here ever tried to walk on a tightrope before? No one? A few of you? Anyone ever tried to walk on a balance theme? Any gymnast in here? Former gymnast? Uh, okay. So... But whenever you're, whenever you're walking across something that's that narrow, whenever you're going across something that narrow, of course there's like no room for air. I mean, if you fall, if you lean slightly one way or the other, you're going to pretty much be dead if you're up this high. You know? And I was thinking recently about how, um, about youth ministry, and, and I really love being your pastor and working here. I love what I do here. But I started to think about it. In these terms, that the, like doing youth ministry is kind of like walking a tight wire in, in a way. It's kind of like walking this really fine line where there's like very little room for air. What I mean by that is you feel pressure from some people to just make everything really, really fun and exciting. There's that pressure. But there's also the pressure to make everything deep and meaningful and, and, and really challenge you guys. And there's that pressure as well. So... I often hear parents say some, sometimes, like, uh, yeah, my kid just doesn't really think I'll have enough fun. I'm like, okay, maybe they're right. Or some other parent might say, hey, you know, I just don't think y'all are going deep enough. And, and so I feel like as a, as a youth pastor, we're trying to walk this really fine line, and there's, like, no room for error. And if you lean one way towards the fun side, you know, you might fall off and die. If you lean, lean one way towards the, you know, going too deep and too meaningful side, you might fall off and die. So we're trying to walk this fine line here in ministry with you guys. And, and it can be hard sometimes, but, but let me tell you, the, the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, I think, is one of those really challenging books that might lean more toward this side over here. We're trying to push you guys deep, push you into meaning and deeper things. You see, we're, we're trying to have a balance here between having fun and growing deep. And Galatians is one of those books that just really pushes you deep. It pushes you really deep. And so today's passage is kind of like a little bit of a balancing act. Uh, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles with you. Galatians 3. And I always like to preface a passage by letting you know what questions it helps us raise or helps us answer. And this passage raises a couple of questions. One of the questions that it raises is this. If we are saved by grace, then why did God give the law? And I know that was a question you had this morning when you got up out of bed. You were like wondering, you know, you're kind of clearing your eyes and you're exhausted from one last hour of sleep and you're probably wondering to yourself, you know, hey, wonder if, wonder why God gave us the law, right? That's really on your mind this morning, right? And so, that may not be like a question you think about. That's more of a theological, deeper question. But let's personalize that question just a bit 
And you probably have had this question before, and that is, if we are saved by grace, then why should we obey God? If this whole grace thing is free, if God's given us this grace thing, if God offers a relationship with us, to us, and it's free, you can't work for it, you can't earn it, then what's the point of obeying God? You probably have had that question before. So this, this passage helps us deal with that question. Look at Galatians 3, verse 15, and we're going to start there at verse 15. It says, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who was Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus... Do away with the promise. I mean, isn't this making a whole lot of sense to you guys? Isn't this making a ton of sense? Is this passage is just like hitting you right where you're at, you know? Uh, this is a hard passage to look at. It's a hard one to look at. In fact, it's one that starts to sound like Charlie Brown's teachers going wah, 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 wah. And you're like, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Okay? Now, now let me just be real, real, be real clear here. Here's what's happening in this passage. The Galatians are really confused about something, okay? They, they thought they were saved by grace and by works, by grace and by following the law. They didn't realize you're saved by grace alone, it's Jesus alone, it's Christ alone. They thought you had to combine this thing called grace and works together. And somehow, when you marry those two things together, then you're really saved. Then you're really saved. Now, when you look at verse 18, Paul says, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament lingo that sounds confusing, but here's, I'm going to boil it down for you. He is saying that it is impossible. It is impossible for you to be saved by grace and by works at the same time. It can't be both. It can't be both. I'll demonstrate here for you. I need two volunteers really quick up here on the stage. Two volunteers. This is not going to be hard, believe me, okay? Just two people. That's all I need. Two people. All right. No, no, you're, you're an intern. I need a stu- two students. Sorry. Okay. Mark. And, yeah, Mark was first, man. So one of you guys needs to. All right. I need one more. Okay, Cecilia, come on up. You guys are going to be sorry in just a minute, both of you. I'll tell you why in a second. You guys, you guys can sit, sit down. That's, that's good. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, so Cecilia, um, I'm going to hook you up today. Let's see here. Uh, okay. I'm going to tell you something, Cecilia. I'm going to tell you that um, if you believe... What I'm going to give you, if you believe this promise, okay, I promise to give you $20 just straight up right now, okay? If you just choose to believe it, do you believe that I'm going to do that for you? Okay, I promise, so you guess so. That sounds really confident. Uh, okay, so that, that's sort of a half-hearted uh, belief, but hey, you know what? I'm a gracious person, so um, here you go. Here's 20 bucks, right here. It's yours. 
It's yours. Now, now stay standing there for just a second, okay? So, so she had to do nothing. She did nothing to earn that. I just said, I, I promise to give this to you, and you believe it. So she receives it. Now, uh, this is Mark up here. You guys don't, Mark, Mark was here at the concert on Wednesday. Everyone say hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Uh, now, Mark, your deal's a little bit different, okay? Uh, you've got to work for yours. Um, so I want you to go high-five 15 people in the room real quick. Just hurry up, 15 people, and uh, you'll get your 20 bucks. Okay, hurry up. One, two, uh, three, four, five, six. I'm just making numbers up right now. Seven, eight, nine, ten. We're getting close. All right. All right, that's close enough. Okay, that's close enough. Okay, um... Can you stand on your head, too? Can you stand on your head? I just want to see what you'll do for 20 bucks, man. Okay, I'll just I'll go ahead and give it to you. Here, here's 20 bucks. Okay? So hang out there for just a second. All right, so here's an example. A really simple example of the difference between grace and works. All right? So Celia just believed the promise that I was going to give her 20 bucks. She believed it, and she got it. She got the money. Over here, you have someone who... I made him do something to earn his money. It's a totally different system. Okay? Now, that was a pretty minor thing you had to do, right? It wasn't that big of a deal. But it was still, you had to do something to earn it. Okay? And so, as we unpack this whole thing today, you're going to see how when you approach your salvation with, with these two mindsets, it completely changes how you live out your salvation. It completely changes how you live out your walk with God. And so... It's got to be complete grace or complete works. You can see how it'd be impossible to combine these two ideas together, right? Because if you add any works to it at all, then it's, it's about earning. It's about doing works to get God's promise. If it's just based on a promise, just based on grace, then it's just sheer grace, okay? If you add any works to that, then it becomes a works thing and not a grace thing. So you can see how confused the Galatians were. They were trying to combine these two ideas. And you can't combine these two ideas. They're completely polar opposites. It can't be 50-50. It's got to be all or nothing. Okay? You guys can have a seat. Enjoy your 20 bucks. Each. Uh, you guys want to go to lunch later? You guys want to go to lunch later? We'll take everybody to lunch. You want, you want to do that later on today? Okay. All right. Now, there's one guy said it this way. A guy named Tim Keller said this, this quote. He said, a gift promise only needs to be believed to be received. The gift promise is what I gave to Cecilia. All she had to do was believe it, and she received it. But a law wage must be obeyed to be received. Okay? Completely different kind of relationship with God. Now, we said the last few weeks that, that most Christians think they're saved by grace most Christians think that they're saved by grace, but that they grow by effort. They grow by works. They just think they have to exert a bunch of effort to really grow spiritually. But you can see how these two ideas, they, they can't coexist. They're completely opposite. They're polar opposites. So here's the question. If people aren't saved by obeying God, if they're not saved by works, the next question would be, then what's the purpose of the law? Now, in verse 19, Paul says, he asked the question, he says, what then was the purpose of the law? Like a good teacher, he anticipates the next question, and he says the question right here. He says, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? 
perfect sense, okay? What I want you to do is discuss at your tables this next question. Uh, based on our previous discussions the last couple of weeks, and also looking at verse 19, if you have notes in your Bible, look at those cheat notes in your Bible. And I want you to figure out what Paul is saying in verse 19. What is the purpose of the law from that, our discussions, and also verse 19. Discuss for a few minutes. Okay, just someone quickly tell me, from previous discussions and from verse 19, what do you think the purpose of the law was? Anyone? Yes. Okay, so it was kind of like a setup. It was kind of like a setup. It was to show the Israelites that we need Christ, that we need a Savior. It was to show us that we were not perfect, okay? One of the, what was one of the analogies that we used to talk about the law a couple weeks ago? Anybody remember? It involves what you looked at this morning when you got up. A mirror. All right, you remember. Uh, we said that the law was kind of like a mirror. It was to reflect back to someone how sinful they were. So whenever the law says, thou shalt not covet, you would look at those words and go, well, well, I covet. I'm a person that covets, so therefore I feel convicted. And you can look at the entire law, all the, quote, rules we talk about with, with Christianity and, and following God, and we can look at those things and say, those things are not uh, meant to make us feel more righteous. They're meant to make us feel unrighteous. Okay? But Galatians had it backwards. In fact, using the uh, mirror analogy, um, you guys got out this morning and you, you looked into a mirror, okay? And uh, you saw what was wrong with you. You saw that your hair was messed up. You saw that you had some, like, nasty stuff in your eyeballs. You saw that um, uh, maybe your nose was running or something last night. And it was just kind of gross. Uh, but you saw what was wrong with you. The mirror told you what was wrong with you this morning, so you knew what to go fix, right, when you got ready this morning. Now, um, you can imagine it would be really weird if someone tried to actually wash their face with a mirror, right? Like, the mirror just tells you that your face is dirty, okay? But you would never see somebody take the mirror and, like, I'm going to clean my face, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comb my hair with the mirror, okay? Like, that just wouldn't work, all right? Because the mirror just points out what's wrong with you. Then you go make a change and, and get yourself fixed up, okay? That was kind of like what the law was. Like, the, the Galatians are trying, to, they're trying to use the law to make themselves better. They're trying to aspire to attain, to live up to the, the law so they can feel better about themselves. That would be like a mirror, taking a mirror and trying to fix yourself with the mirror, okay? You, you can't do that. You can't do that. The mirror just points out what's wrong with you, that you need changing. That's what the law's purpose was. The purpose of the law was to show you how unclean you were so that you know your need for a Savior. Now, there's a, a big movement today, uh, in, even in church culture. Um, people try to talk about God and say things like, you know, yeah, God's not really about making us feel guilty. He's not really about making us feel like we're, we're sinners. That's not really the main point of the gospel. The main point of the gospel is his grace, his love, um, his mercy. Let's not talk so much about sin and guilt. Let's talk more about grace and his love and his mercy. That, that sounds more positive, more upbeat. But let me tell you something, guys. If we're not guilty, 
then grace doesn't mean anything. If you and I aren't guilty before God, sinful before God, unrighteous before God, then grace doesn't mean squat. Grace doesn't mean anything unless we're completely guilty, completely condemned before God. You, you can't understand grace until you understand your guilt. And I'm just going to tell you today, I know that we're a bunch of church people in here, but if you are someone who's sitting here today and you've never experienced some sense of guilt or brokenness over sin in your life, then I don't know if you're even a Christian. I really don't. I hate saying that, but if you've never experienced some kind of a of guilt and brokenness, I don't mean shame and like, you know, like you just can't get out of the rut of depression. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you've never come to God and really sensed an element of, of guilt and, and I'm separated from God because of my sin, I am unrighteous, I am not worthy to be in His presence, I am so thankful for His grace. If you've never felt something like that, I'm not sure you're you're a Christian. <clears throat> I'm not sure that you are. And I think for so many Christians today, that they see God that way. They see Him only as grace, only as mercy. And He is. But you have to understand your guilt. You have to understand your separation from God before you fully understand His grace. You can't separate those two things. Because if you don't understand your guilt before God, then what does that make Jesus? It makes Him a good luck charm. That's all He is. He, he can't be a Savior. He can't be a Savior. So the law was given to reveal our sin, to reveal our guilt, so that you and I would look for a Savior, know our need for a Savior, and, and seek Him, and seek to love Him and know Him. Look at verse 21. He says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? What he's asking in this question is, is really pretty simple. It looks kind of complicated, but it's pretty simple. He's asking, are grace and law enemies then? Are, are these two ideas, are they completely enemies? And Paul says, no, absolutely not. Let me show you how they complement each other. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that the law does not give life. It only shows you that you're dead. The law can't actually impart life to you, but all it does is show you that you're, you're dead and that you need life. The law, you might say it this way, the, the law really can't change you. It, it only restrains you. And I did not mean for that to rhyme, it just did. All right? The, the law can't actually change you. It, it only restrains you. Okay? You might, you might see it as like a dog leash. Okay? Uh, when I walk my dogs, this is the most immature of the two dogs that I have. If you can't tell, she's kind of skitsy up here, you know? And, uh, and so... Um, but Ellie's my more mature dog. She's a dog that doesn't. Ne- she never needs a leash. I can just call her; she'll come. Uh, Zoe, though, is a little bit less less mature than that, and she needs to be walked with a leash everywhere we go. All right. Now, um, the the point of a leash is uh, is to restrain her. Okay. Uh, nobody spends like big bucks on a leash because they know a leash is not going to change anything. It's just going to restrain them for a while. They send them to obedient school to be changed. Okay. They spend the big bucks for that. They spend, they spend their small money on a, on a leash, like 10, 15 bucks. Because all a leash does is restrain them. The, the leash itself can't change them. It just 
holds them back. It just restrains them. All right? Now, um, recently, uh, my wife and I were in Atlanta, Georgia, seeing my brother um, a couple years ago for spring break. And we were at the Atlanta Aquarium. Anybody ever been to the Atlanta Aquarium? It's pretty amazing. It's pretty awesome. And uh, we're walking through the Atlanta Aquarium. And I look up and I see this uh, probably eight-year-old girl. And she's wearing a harness around her shoulders. And attached to the harness is a leash. And attached to the leash is her father. And, And this girl's just kind of walking through. And I'm going, that girl's got a leash. How humiliating is that? And I'm sorry, but if my kid ever needs a leash, we're not going out in public. That's just not going to happen, okay? I mean, I just, this girl's like eight years old, so I'm sure she's looking around going, Daddy, how come no one else has a leash? How come I'm the only person with a leash on? And so I'm watching this girl, and she's just kind of walking through casually with her dad. And I'm like, she's not even really being a bad girl. Why, why, does, she have, why does she have a leash on? Yes, that's just weird. Then all of a sudden, she looks up, and her eyes, like, pop out of her head. And she goes, look, Daddy, sharks. And she goes, and she's like, she gets pulled back by this leash, like whiplash, you know. I'm like, okay, so that's why she has the leash on, okay. And so, for this, for this girl, obviously, she needs to grow up, of course. But the, the leash can't bring change. The, the leash just restrains for a while. Now, now, the leash kind of points out to her that you need to change. You're wearing a leash, you're eight years old, you know. But, but it, it points out that, that she needs to change, obviously, that something internally needs to happen uh, for her to make this change in her life. And, and so in the same way, the law can't bring change. It can only restrain for a while. It can only restrain. That's all it can do. Look at verse 23. It says, Before this faith came... We were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. I want you to look at some of the key words that Paul uses to describe the law. He says, we were held prisoners, we were locked up. Uh, He used these words to to make a point, to show you that whenever you try to live the Christian life by works. Whenever you try to live out the Christian life based on works, it's going to feel like a prison. It's going to feel like a prison. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, has Christianity ever felt like a prison to you? Has it ever felt like that to you? If so, then the gospel hasn't really taken root fully in your heart. The gospel of grace, you're still living out some kind of works gospel. So Paul is showing the Galatians that trying to secure your salvation by following the law leads to some form of bondage, okay? Now, I'm going to switch things up a little bit here at the end because uh, here's the deal today, guys. I've, my wife is actually at the women's conference uh, today, and so I've got to run up there and grab my son out of the child care thing before they kind of wrap up up there. So I'm going to uh, switch things around just here for a bit. I'm going to go ahead and close out here in a second and explain a couple things to you. You've got some discussion sheets on your tables. Once I wrap up here, uh, I want the leaders of each table to kind of take those discussion questions and go through them with your tables. And if you have to go, you, you can go. That's fine. But um, stick around and discuss some of those questions uh, there as well. And, uh, but what I, wanna, what I want you to get from this today is that, is that whenever you see 
the Christian life like a prison. Whenever you see it like it's causing anxiety in your life, it's, you feel like God is distant, He's impersonal, He's not really there. These are all things, these are all signs that point to maybe you're living out the wrong gospel. Maybe, maybe you're approaching God with a gospel of works and not a gospel of grace. Yeah, sure, if somebody asks you, do you believe in grace, do you believe in the gospel of grace, you say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But when it comes to how you live out your faith, it's a gospel of works. It's a gospel of works. And so you can see how these things will creep into your, creep into your heart, creep into your mind, and most of the time you won't even realize it. Okay, so so going back to the uh, going back to the whole leash analogy thing we talked about, uh, the leash restrains, but it, it can't bring about change. It can't bring real change to someone's life. But here's what else the leash does for Zoe as she's up here. Uh, whatever, yeah, okay. Um, thank you for that. Uh, but th- this leash teaches Zoe to walk closely with her master. This leash teaches her to, to hear my voice, to, to follow me. It teaches her to, to walk closely beside me. And here's what needs to happen. As she grows, as she matures, eventually this leash needs to become internalized. I don't mean like she eats the leash. I mean that it needs to become like almost like an invisible leash, right? I can remove the leash and she'll still follow me. Why? Because she wants to. She'll still follow me because she hears the sound of my voice and she knows who her master is. And, and she willfully walks alongside her master. You probably heard her over here today. Whenever I was over there and she was over here, she's like yelping like, um, where are you at? You know, And she's freaking out. And, and, and the same thing needs to be true for you in your walk with God. That this whole thing called the law... It's not meant to be this oppressive system to lord over you. God wants you to inscribe the law on your heart so that the, the, the rules we talk about in Christianity, they are, they are part of a relationship where you walk closely with the Master and you listen to His voice because you want to. You walk passionately alongside Him, following Him because you want to be there. No one's, no one's pulling you along with a leash saying, Hey, come, come this way. You're not forced to do it. It's because your heart's been changed. Jesus has changed you. And you want to follow after the Master. And so eventually, you can do this. You know, Paul, Paul takes the whole law thing and says, Look, the point of the law isn't to throw the law away. But the point of the law is to internalize it. So that when I walk out of this room, she's going to follow me. Because she wants to. Okay? Discuss the other questions at your tables for a few minutes, and I will be right back with my son. You guys can just kind of dismiss whenever you're done with your table, and have an awesome, incredible week.